Someday love will find you Break chains, chains that bind you Whoa. What's that? It was a normal night. I had just returned from town historian Lester Stanby's intervention. You know what? All you people, you clearly think that I have some kind of a problem. Yes, Lester. You've already broken two chairs tonight. Fuck! You know what, Rutherford? That was just an inappropriate coincidence. We just want what's best for you, Lester. I'm serious about this, man. I didn't want to bring it up here, but I'm not going to keep selling you meat if you come into my shop drunk. You fondled a cooked duck in front of a family last night. <laughs> You're all fucking losers, dude. Not not you, Donald. You're hot as fuck, and I can never be mad at you. But I'm still pissed, man. Lester, come on. Put your shirt back on. What's that thing on his chest? Is that a brand, or should he go to a doctor? You all grew up. I stay real. Now get the fuck out of my house, dude. Oh, fuck, guys. We gotta go. We gotta go. As I was getting ready for bed, I was startled to see that a note had been slipped from under my hotel room door. At first, I thought it might have been from the hotel manager, who, for whatever reason, has never seemed very fond of me. Rutherford, do you have my cat? I keep getting ransom notes from my cat. Keep pushing me, city boy. I have a fucking gun. I picked up the letter and opened it. My heart sank. Golden glitter poured out from the envelope and onto the ground. It was them. Mr. Winchester, I've been listening to your silly little podcast. Does that worry you? Fuck! Intern! Intern! Oh my god, you have to sleep in here tonight. Intern! Intern! Oh shit, I'm sorry, intern. I didn't take the muzzle off, did I? How long has it been? Here we go. What year is... Is that Natalie Ambruglia? That's right, the Salmonville letter writer knew who I was. Which is kind of flattering, really. Flattering until I realized they also knew where I was staying in Salmonville. How could this be? Could I have made enemies here? Where is my cat, Rutherford? Do you know how many people die in hotel rooms? I knew I had to ask around to see if someone let my location slip. Hi, it's Rutherford. Sorry to call you so late, but I'm wondering, have you told anyone where I was staying? Uh... No, I, I don't really think about you. To be honest, it's kind of spectacular how little of an impact you have on people. Sorry, Rutherford, I don't think I've told anyone where you stay. It's kind of funny. Whenever you aren't in the room, I just forget that you're a person. Uh, in a good way, though. Well, n- not to be rude, but if I told everyone where every coked-up podcaster was staying, I wouldn't have time to go out with any women. No, no, I would never give away someone's home address. Especially not yours. I would never allow someone I know to be alone with you. No offense. Yeah, Rutherford, I have an entire fortune and a staff of a hundred people in my goddamn house. I'm being fed grapes and fanned by a large leaf right now. I'm absolutely talking about you all the time.
fucking moron. Just as I suspected, my interviewees were very protective of me. I brought the letter to Randy at Salmonville PD the next day. Yeah, this looks legitimate to me. Handwriting's there, glitter's there, and the biggest giveaway of all's there too. What is it? It's signed the Salmonville Letter Writer. All right, let's go over this together. I'll start reading. Oh, oh, Mr. Winchester, I've been listening to your silly little podcast. Does that worry, worry? <coughs> oh, uh, Randy, you don't have to read that. We actually, uh, we have a guy for that. You sure? I don't mind taking a stab at it. I actually study voice acting in my free time. We have a guy for that. Mr. Winchester, I've been listening to your silly little podcast. Does that worry you? It should. In a way, your podcast is sort of like a collection of my greatest hits. For a long time now, I thought my mission was fruitless. But you changed my mind. I still have so much work to do. Keep digging. I'll be seeing you, Rutherford. Very, very soon. P.S. Terrible choice for a voice actor. You don't even know my gender. This is the worst job I've ever had. Oh, he seems mad. I'd be worried if I were you, Rutherford. Oh, really? You don't think it's some sort of empty threat? Oh, no. People have died, Rutherford. You know that well as I do. You you could be next. Hell, I might even be the one tracking down your murderer. But I shouldn't panic, right? I would be. I would be horrified. Uh... I'd be thanking God for each additional breath I take, knowing full well that I'm on borrowed time. I'm gonna go, Randy. Goodbye, Rutherford. In case you're murdered in a gruesome fashion, know that you're my friend. That'll comfort you as blood pours from your body and the life leaves your eyes. Okay, bye. Just hope that you die quickly, Rutherford. Not slow and painfully like Jason McCaffrey. I won't lie to all of you out there. I'm very scared. But I started a journey here in Salmonville, and it's one that I can't abandon until I have answers. No, Rutherford, you have to stay in Salmonville and see this through. I've talked with your father, and we've decided that you have to stay and finish this. But I could be killed, Jack. Your dad says that's something he's prepared for. So, despite the danger that lies ahead of me, I'm continuing my investigation. Last week, we spoke to Esme Bright, the second suspect in the Salmonville letter writer investigation. She's the sole postal worker in Salmonville, and she's not exactly a nice person. Rutherford... I, I really do hate to be the one to tell you, but you got a really weird face. You know that? It's like, the more I look at it, the less sense it makes. It's actually, you know what? I'm going to turn away because I'm getting a little scared, okay? I am getting a little scared. You're really just a complete fuggo. Esme refused to speak with police or federal investigator Fifi Green. Esme was not willing to cooperate with our investigation. Then that only piqued my interest more. I mean, she controlled the mail in this town, and she was the only person, aside from those who received a letter, to come in contact with one of the letters. Could Esme Bright have knowledge about the letter writer? Like I said before, 
I do not talk to the feds. Even if I did, which I don't, and never would, what the fuck could I say to them? It's not my job to know what's in the letters. It's my job to deliver them. Did I notice when I was carrying one of those letters? Sure, not very often you get an envelope that leaks gold glitter. But I just put them in the mailbox. You know how many other things I've got to worry about? Esme had delivered every letter herself, but there's no evidence to suggest that she'd written them herself. Her DNA hasn't been found on the inside of any envelope, but that could be because the Salmonville PD does not believe in DNA. But Esme was right. She had other problems to deal with in this town. The children of Salmonville need to be euthanized. You know how every now and then you'll see some politician fucking creep on TV talking about how he needs to protect the children? Okay, fuck that and fuck that guy. We need to protect the adults from the children here. Those little cunts need to be taken care of in this town. And I know a guy who can get it done on the cheap. Children in Salmonville are bad. There's no denying it. Just last week, a little boy called me a... There's a lot of misbehaving kids in town. I remember I once caught a little boy shooting bottles with a rifle. When I told him to stop, he told me to go fuck myself and take the horse I rode in on and go and then take my and then take that and put in some soup and Ben Shapiro. Esme had been getting the brunt of childhood rage in Salmonville for years at the time the letters started to be released. God, the 70s were a fucking nightmare. You would think I would be in my prime, but I had a hard time. Because I swear, I would just be minding my own business like a saint, putting mail into the mailboxes. All of a sudden, some kid would shoot a spitball at me, sopping wet, while another kid kept yelling across the street, You'll never walk down the aisle! It was psychological warfare. Another time, one kid dressed like a ghost. Oh, and his costume was really good. He spooked the hell out of me. And when I was paying attention to the ghost, because again, the production value was really impressive, another kid came out of nowhere and hit me with a bat. They, 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 they did get less clever as the time went on, I do gotta say. The kids in Salmonville were vicious. It was a pretty big news story uh, for years. God, I fucking hate kids. I don't talk to mine ever. They... They actually think I'm dead, which is like, dude, if you would like never want to see him again, just pretend to be dead. and welcome to Salmonville News at 7. Now in Technicolor, I'm Mindy Marshall. Hello, and I'm Batman! Dun -dun 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 Batman! <sighs> He's Chet Firestorm. 38 years old with a much higher salary than mine. Ha <laughs> ha! Mindy Paul! Our top story tonight, 
Have the children of Salmonville taken over our town? Following reports of child-led riots in Salmonville's town center, many people are wondering if misbehaving is running rampant in our town. Joining us tonight is the lawyer for the Salmonville Child Defense Team and former Jason McCaffrey campaign manager, Michaela Feathers. Hi, Mindy. Wonderful being on here. Is that spit up on your shirt? Yes. Chet couldn't keep down his carrots tonight. Mmm, gross. Anyway, Mindy, I'm here tonight to defend those who cannot defend themselves, the children of Salmonville. How can you sleep at night knowing full well that you're demonizing our youth? I'm not sure that's fair, Michaela. Ideal. Who amongst us didn't get in trouble as a kid? So they shot a cop, so what? Michaela, look, I do a picture. Ah, oh, Chad, that is so good. Are those green lines coming off Mindy her smell? <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> I could have worked at the Washington Post. Whether or not you believe Esme should have spoken to the police, her silence put Fifi Green and Randy Peterson in a bad situation. Could I have helped them? Maybe. Could I have let them know when I had a new letter? Sure, I guess, but I don't control any of this. I just do my job, which, again, is extremely difficult and underappreciated. Plus, children literally try to murder me every day. I could give a fuck about the fucking police or somebody blackmailing people in this town. Handle it like grown-ups. With not much to go on, Fifi Green soon abandoned her investigation in Salmonville. I couldn't get any evidence on Jeff Lamond. Esme Bright wouldn't talk to me, and the letter writer hadn't made any new moves since their last letter to Kathy Stanford. I would have liked to see it through, but the Bureau offered me a new job training a sleeper cell agent for a program. I got the guy who played Doogie Hauser. Nice kid. Anyway, I gave Randy my best and left Salmonville. I think the air messed with my lungs. I'm very sick now. Kind of like the people who responded to the Chernobyl crisis. I can only see shapes. It was a sad day when Fifi Green left. I felt hopeless. Plus, she and I had a real connection. I think we could have gone the distance. I found Randy repugnant. I was very excited to be away from him. I miss her. I know she feels the same. But anyway, it was almost like the letter writer knew that we'd gotten outside help. When she was here, they went completely quiet. Or so we thought. In episode two, we met with Sally Johnson. I respect the rule of law. I just respect my wants and desires over the needs of others. Sally, Salmonville's town treasurer at the time, and a complete fucking nightmare, was the first person to receive a letter from the Salmonville letter writer. In her letter, she was accused of misappropriating Salmonville funds to feed into her pet rock collection. She was also accused of arming fringe groups in Vietnam with automatic weaponry. Sally, who is now a lobbyist in the Rhode Island State Senate, denies these claims. After her first interview, Sally stopped returning my calls. Sally didn't want anything to do with the investigation after she got her first letter. She wouldn't return my calls, but she did send me a rock from her collection that she said would make me more appealing to women. The rock was named Mel Gibson. I, I appreciated it, but we all had the sense she was hiding something. That fear was realized when her husband, John Johnson, came into my office towards the end of January. He'd gotten three letters from the letter writer that he hadn't reported. Sally was married to John Johnson, a local factory worker who was well known to the police. Oh, John, he was a rascal. A criminal, but a low-level one. He never hurt nobody. He just got drunk a lot and loved to smash windows with his hands. 
He would end up in the drunk tank a lot, and we all loved him around here. Instead of writing to Sally again, the letter writer continued their blackmailing through her husband. This time, the letter writer provided evidence to prove his earlier claims about Sally. For the first time ever, John Johnson's younger brother, Johnny Johnson, has agreed to sit down for an interview. Is that really their name? Wow. Hello, I'm Johnny Johnson, younger brother of John Johnson, Sally's first husband. Our father, Jonathan Johnson raised us on his own with some help from his father, our grandfather, Evan. We were a close-knit family. We had our own family recipe for a home brew by the time I was seven. I was our head taste tester by nine. Things were great for a really long time. My brother might not have been the smartest guy, but he made up for it best he could. But he really wasn't that bright, to be honest. We couldn't keep mirrors in our house, because Big Brother would always think that his soul was going to get trapped. He'd punch the mirror, usually. You should have seen his knuckles. They were almost always bleeding. In 1973, Sally and John had been married for about five years. To those in Salmonville, they were like any other couple. But behind closed doors, things were different. Well, when John was in the drunk tank, he'd tell the officers that Sally didn't pay much attention to him. She just worked and looked after a rock collection. The spark had really gone out of the marriage. He was upset, hurt. But once they got mixed up with the letter writer, that all turned to anger. John didn't think much of Sally's letter. He believed his wife at her word. She hadn't been spending Salmonville money inappropriately. But then he got his own. I remember when Big Brother got his first letter. He knew it was from the letter writer because of the gold glitter, but this letter didn't say anything. Just had a Polaroid photo of Sally selling a crate of machine guns to a Viet Cong fighter. He was heartbroken that she lied, but I think he wanted to protect her secret. She had big aspirations, and he probably couldn't find love again, to be honest. So he was willing to stick by her, you know? If that had been the only letter, I, th I really think that that would have been the end of it. John might still be here. But it wasn't the only letter. One week later, John received another. This one had a message. Mr. Johnson, can you read? That's a serious question. I'm keeping this one brief because I'm not sure if you can read. Attached here is another photo. This photo shows your wife buying a rock collection worth over $7,000. Where do you think she got that money? From your salary? I don't think so. Your wife isn't just keeping secrets from Salmonville, John. She's keeping them from you, too. Keep an eye on the milkman. Talk soon. The Salmonville Letter Writer. Now, the milkman in Salmonville is a guy named Marky. Nobody knows his last name. He didn't talk much to people, but he talked to dogs a lot. One time I was walking by Marky and his dog, and I heard Marky say, Yeah, boy, that's Lester. He's the one who pisses in the milk bottles. Which is true, but he shouldn't fucking say that. Marky is a mystery for sure. He's the town milkman and has been for years. He leaves a bottle of milk on every doorstep in Salmonville two days out of the week. But the town never hired him. No one even knows where he gets the milk. But have you seen that guy? He's nearly seven feet tall. 
No one asks any questions. John was getting suspicious. What could the letter writer have meant? Well, to me, it was pretty obvious that the letter writer was alluding to an affair between Sally and Marky. I don't think Big Brother saw it that way at first. I think he thought that the letter meant that the milkman was poisoning his milk, so he just replaced milk in his diet with more beer. Marky still delivers milk to this day. Right now, a tall bottle of milk that was left outside my hotel room sits in a mini-fridge. I don't know what it is, but something is definitely alive in that bottle. I asked town residents how they felt about him. Marky scares me. I don't think he's ever said anything to me, but the look in his eyes tells me that he knows how much I've killed. Marky, Marky, was he the one who brought milk to my house? I think he buried a dead squirrel in my front yard once. Marky is a mystery for sure. He's the town milkman has been for years. He leaves a bottle of milk on every doorstep in Salmonville two days out of the week. But the town never hired him. No one even knows where he gets the milk. But have you seen that guy? He's nearly seven feet tall. No one asks any questions. Marky, that motherfucker stole my dog. I tracked the dog back to his place, which was just like a shed under a bridge. But the dog seemed to like him more. He bit me. I know Marky really well. Man loves dogs. Not in a creepy way, in like a Jane Goodall way. I'd seen him down at the track all the time, whispering to the dogs. Usually if Marky talks to a dog, that dog is going to win a damn race. Doesn't even matter how big the dog's dick is. As you know, Rutherford, my method to picking the best race dog is picking the dog with the smallest dick. Okay, Kathy already talked about dog dicks enough in the last episode. If you want to hear her method again, please seek help. Or alternatively, just listen to last week's episode. Now, I managed to get Marky to sit down for an interview, but he didn't say much. Right. Good. All right. Uh, yeah. Hi, Marky. Thank you so much for sitting down to be interviewed. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, so I'll start by asking what your connection is to Sally Johnson. Marky? Okay, alright, uh, you don't want to answer that yet. I get it. Okay, too much too soon. How about you just tell me a little something about yourself? Nothing. Okay. Um, people say you like animals? What? What are you getting in? Marky, what? Is that a squirrel? You've had a squirrel on you this whole time? Marky, Marky, the interview isn't over. Get get over here. Where are you going? Don't bring the squirrel into my bathroom, Marky. Marky gave a squirrel a bath in my hotel room. He drowned it pretty immediately, but I don't think he noticed. Anyway, John got his last letter on July 18th, 1973. I remember that night pretty well. I was getting ready to go to sleep. All of a sudden, Big Brother comes banging on the door, holding an envelope. He was so mad he could barely talk. Inside, there was a photo of Sally and Marky together. They weren't kissing or nothing, but it was clear that they were romantically involved. She was looking at her rock, and he was sniffing a dog. But there was a lot of love in that photo. Looked like it was taken in Marky's shack. Big Brother was heartbroken, but he wanted revenge. Just kept saying, It ends tonight! It ends tonight. Big Brother demanded that I drive him to the police station. I was closing up for the night. Pretty regular day for me, the first day in a while that I hadn't thought about that letter writer. 
Then John comes barreling in, holding three letters. I go through them, see the photos, and realize that the letter writer was still going after Sally Johnson. We had proof she was stealing money, but I already had so much on my plate. I just handed that case off eventually. Don't know why she was never charged. I mean, the evidence was pretty concrete, but John was livid. He felt betrayed. He told me point blank that he was going to kill Marky. What did you do? Well, I told him that was a pretty drastic reaction, but that's all I could do. What? Huh? A guy told you he was going to commit murder in your office at the police station. Well, yeah, but it's not our job to stop murders before they happen. God, can you imagine? That's not our job, right? John dropped off his three letters and his younger brother drove him to Marky's shed. Marky lived under the Salmonville Bridge, which meant that there was very little light surrounding his home. Based on police recordings at the time, there were believed to be 18 dogs living on the property with Marky. I knew it was a bad idea to take on Marky. I mean, did you see that guy? He was a giant. He was like a seven-foot-tall Robert Gronkowski, but with far less brain capacity. That guy's basically if CTE was a person. Anyhow, John was dead set on confronting Marty, so I drove him there. He told me to wait in the car. He drank about six beers in the span of 30 seconds. Kissed me on the forehead and said, this ends tonight, baby brother. John walked onto Marty's property at 11.47 p.m. He would be dead within minutes. According to police records and Johnny's eyewitness account, John was greeted by Marky at the front door. John yelled at Marky, who said nothing. John pushed Marky, but he stayed exactly in place. It was pretty pathetic. John was kicking him, punching him. Marky barely moved. He seemed bored, honestly. But John, John was just getting madder and madder. After a few minutes, John pulled out a gun and fired three times. He just hauls off, shoots him in the chest. Three times. Marty didn't move at all. Just fucking stood there. But I could tell he was getting agitated. John fired three more shots, screamed, and reloaded his firearm. Boom! 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 Three more shots. Marky doesn't do anything. He's not even losing blood. I'm pretty sure he just absorbed the bullets. John empties another clip into Marty. For those next six shots. Rutherford, do you have to play that audio now? It's interrupting me. God. After those next six shots, Marty started to move. Must have taken... 15 seconds for him to kill my brother. Marty picked John up off the ground and crushed his skull with his bare hands. He then sat quietly and waited for the authorities to arrive. My big brother. I miss him so much. He didn't deserve what happened to him that night. Even if he may have started it a little by shooting Marky 12 times. Jesus, Rutherford, come on! John Johnson's body was a mess. His head looked like the inside of a pumpkin when I got there. Just disgusting. Almost as disgusting as a big wet fart. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, sorry, I'm just feeling funny today. It was very gruesome. We couldn't charge Marky with anything because, well, even if it was excessive, he was acting in self-defense. I just wish I could have prevented this somehow. You absolutely could have. There's no way to know. Just one of life's mysteries, I guess.
You know, the weird thing about Marky was that even though he was shot twelve times, he didn't bleed at all. I would stay away from him, Rutherford. Okay, Marky, the squirrel is clean. Can you tell me how you felt about John Johnson? Marky, you're drooling. everyone, and welcome to Salmonville News at 7. I'm Mindy Marshall. And I'm Chet Firestorm. Mindy, where do babies come from? Our top story tonight. John Johnson, the Salmonville resident found dead last night, had been receiving letters from the Salmonville letter writer. Here's what that means for the investigation. The... the who? The... the letter writer? Oh, Chet. Please don't. Oh, no! For fuck's sake! Is everyone just really okay with this? God! Another death caused by the Salmonville letter writer. Have I bitten off more than I can chew? Am I next? After all, I mean, the letter writer does know who I am now. I mean, would you guys be cool if I didn't finish this? I'm, I'm getting pretty worried. But, okay, um, next week, the letter writer chooses their next victim. Sally Johnson finally responds to the allegations against her, and Lester Stanby finally faces his demons. I'm scared, but that must mean I'm on the right track. I will get to the bottom of whatever's going on in Salmonville. Until next time, I'm Rutherford Winchester, and this is the Salmonville Letter Writer. Once again, this episode is dedicated to Lester Stanby, who is on his way to rehab right now. We wish him the best. Hey, Rutherford, it's your bestie, Lesty. Look, my sister's taking me to rehab right now. I figured it's only right for you to get... My last drunken voicemail, and I just wanted to say, fuck you, dude, fuck you, uh, fuck my sister, fuck this entire stupid fucking towny piece of shit town, dude, I hate everybody here, oh, Lester has to go to rehab, oh, I got, I'm bringing Lester to rehab, because he boofed vodka in my tub, I will buy you another tub, okay, that's not, to, where am I supposed to boof vodka, not in the tub, you want me to boof in your living room, I'll do it there, I don't give a shit, fuck your kids, boofing is a, a thing, it's harassment for you not to have me boof things. Okay, that's when you put out al- it's when you put alcohol. I don't know. I figure in man of culture you probably know, but it's when you put alcohol in your ass because the liver is a tragic organ. It takes all the toxins from the alcohol when you put it through your regular mouth. So I don't know. I'm just letting you know that I, I want you to be dead. And uh and if this rehab makes me quit coke, I'm gonna be very fucking upset. Alright? Like what I get, like, I got a problem with alcohol. That's fine. I, I don't have a problem with cocaine, okay? I mean, I I do, clearly, but, like, I'm not going to stop doing it ever. What the fuck? Anyway, uh, I hope you die.
listening to this week's episode of the Salmonville Letter Writer. The Salmonville Letter Writer's artwork is done by graphic designer Haley Mulvey. You can contact her on Instagram for commission work at Haley Mulvey underscore design. The music in Salmonville is written and performed by Max Shulkov. You can find him on Twitter at Carl Maximilian. I'm Ben Loftus. I write the show and I play Rutherford Winchester. You can follow me on Twitter at DietBenLoftus, and you can follow Salmonville on Twitter at Salmonville. This week's cast includes Al Christakis, who you can find on YouTube under the name Al Christakis, Alex Lennon-Simon on Twitter at SheelickyBookie, Callie Webb on Twitter at OldPalCal. You can also check out her podcast, My Friend Show, The Podcast, on Apple Music and Spotify. Ivan Tenreo, you can find them on Twitter at JoannaNewsome41, Yessi Rigo on Twitter at Portuguese underscore Bruja, Riley Halliday, you can visit her website, thriftsandprints.com, or her Instagram at thriftsandprints. Neil Linsky on Twitter at Neil Linsky, Alex Forrest on Twitter at HitchWillSmith. Alex and Neil have started a webcomic named People of Beer, which you can follow on Twitter at People of Beer. Sarah Fristo on Twitter at Rodent Sheriff. Jamie Loftus on Twitter at Jamie Loftus Help. You can listen to her new podcast, Lolita Podcast, as well as her podcast, The Bechtel Cast, and My Year in Mensa. And lastly, Carter Hambly, who provided additional writing for this episode. You can find him on Twitter at Carter Hamley. Thank you so much for listening to the show up to this point. Thank you for listening to the credits. And thank you for not bringing up my close personal friendship with O.J. Simpson. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>